And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, how we need your word to impact us tonight. More than just nice things to read, more than just information so we can actually just gather it and, and have more things ready and fodder and ammunition to argue with. Oh God, but tonight, please, Lord, make us ready to receive what you want to tell us. Make us ready, Lord, to hear your voice. Make us ready, Lord, to, to be changed, really, really changed. God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to have complete free reign here tonight. No one fighting, nobody struggling, but willingly, Lord, willingly letting you lead us where you want to lead us tonight. So please have yourself now here glorified, exalted. And may we gladly receive, Lord, what you have for us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Would say tonight as, as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. The book of 1 Corinthians is to the Gentiles much like perhaps the book of Hebrews would be to the Jewish people. In the book of Hebrews... The writer, who, by the way, remains anonymous, and it's amazing how many people want to tell you they understand and they know who wrote something that God doesn't tell. Addresses a group of Jewish people who, after seemingly having some form of response to Jesus, ran back and are tempted to run back. To run back to the world they knew before Jesus. And in their case, it was a world of works. And if you, were rela- if you were raised kind of in a religious environment, it's probably the battle you may face as well. The battle of trying to amount good works. It all boils down to good works and a self-maintained righteousness. If I do enough, work hard enough, do the right things at the right time, God will see it and there will be some great approval at best. 
The problem is with a running back to something like that, you first of all, you, you run from grace, and when you do, you, there's no savior. There's no savior involved in a works-oriented relationship. Jesus, what does he save you from if you're still trying to work off the debt he paid? And so in the book of Hebrews, the whole challenge is to not go back to all the things, to be honest, that you're really familiar with. The things, by the way, and, and, and please understand, here's where the problem goes. And might I say like I would any time, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible truly be your final standing point on anything. In the book of Hebrews, there's a list of things these people are very familiar with. And they're God-ish things. It's the angels and it's church. It's the assembly. It's the commandments, it's Moses, it's Abraham, it's the Levitical priesthood. It's all of these things. And then let's be honest, there are some people, when they said yes to Jesus, they kind of knew their entire life was going to be changed. They kind of knew they had to walk away from everything. But I'll be honest, in the Western world, that's very few of us. Now there are people in places where saying yes to Jesus, you know your family's going to disown you. You know that the culture you're in would call you anathema. They're going to think of you as an outlaw. They're going to see a problem with you. And as much as who, who wants that world, those people, to be honest, are, to me, some of the greatest heroes. Because you know when they made that choice, it was a difficult one to make. And when they chose Jesus, they knew the cost. In a religious environment like this... Saying yes to Jesus, the natural thing to do, not the supernatural, but the natural thing to do was to try to add Jesus into the operating system. And when that happens, ultimately what's going to break down to is the two are going to conflict at a place where you're going to find even people you thought were on your side are no longer on your side. And that's what we'll see in this chapter. It gets down to only one foundation can be laid, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, that's the problem. Jesus can't redecorate you. He's not going to relocate you. That's not what he's, he's going to reinvent you. And to do that, he's got to blast the house that exists down to the foundation. And I'll be honest, I don't know about you, but for me, that really wasn't my experience in the beginning mentally was to think, wow, Jesus. I mean, I could say, Jesus, I would love for you to change everything. But everything didn't mean everything. It just meant everything I was thinking of at the moment I was uncomfortable with. The stuff I didn't like about me. But ultimately, friends, please hear me. There is this challenge to run back. And if you've been raised in a religious environment, and by the way, I don't use that term negatively. Religion simply means devotion. And I really think that we all should be religious. But we should be devoted to Jesus, not to a system, not to a... And, and so understand, from the perspective of a religious environment, the thing that we do, we can do what any of us, is drag who we were over the cross instead of really let him die and be buried. We're digging up the guy Jesus buried. And if you are in that religious environment, the entire book of Hebrews is for you. And by the way, it's more than just not going back but it's growing forward. That's the problem.
In Hebrews, twice there are some of the strongest and scariest admonitions you ever heard or read. And you find the, you find the first one in chapter 6, and it's like, look it. We're talking, we're not talking here about playing small fair. We're talking about all in or all out. This isn't like you're going to lose a little bit. This is you losing the plot. Because once you actually trade Jesus' grace in, you've got nothing of Jesus left. It's all by grace. So understand, that is a part of the world we are in. There are going to be people here. How many of you here were raised in a religious environment? By a show of hands. Okay, take a look. And I'll be honest, that's about half of you, a third to a half of you. I'll give you an idea. Now, some of us weren't. But we have a challenge, too, about bringing the old man over the, over the cross. Dig him up. And that's really what Corinthians is about. You see, in the case of the religious, you drag over that system of works. When you drag over that system of works that work performance-based righteousness, you bank on your good works, and there's no Savior. But in a Gentile world, we're in a license-based lifestyle where everything is about entitlement, it is about um, tolerance, and it is about so-called freedom. Isn't that true? And so if you weren't raised, and by the way, you could be both. You could bring both over the cross, which neither one belongs over the cross. But if you didn't know Jesus or you didn't have any form of sort of religious structure being raised or whatever the case is, chances are it was all for you and you're for it. And it's all about survive, man. Look out for number one. You've got to love yourself. That's the religion that was cheap, that's taught in a house that doesn't have Jesus as the, sort of for, as the forefront. And so what happens in a case like that is people are to be used and you size them up and see what they're worth. And when they're done, you throw them away and you move on to the next group. Now, I'm not telling you I approve of this. I, I totally disapprove. But that's the way of the world. And, and understand... When you go and you jump into that world system and try to get something out of it, that's what the world's looking for at you. So don't be surprised if that's what it's going to do when, it come, when you come into it. I mean, you jump into the world, you found someone and they say they're a Christian, but they're really not, and they're worldly and they're worldly and they're worldly, and you get chewed up and spit out and left because now there's nothing left for you to give, and then you're freaked out, how did that happen? It's the way of the world. Get out of it. That's why we don't open our heart to that, but we seek instead to love on in a manner to bring them to Jesus. But the book of Corinthians, what it tells us is, is that there's another group of people, not just the religious, that have that same problem. And what we do is we bring over then our entitlement. And now all of a sudden, God is like the great bellhop in the sky. He's like Santa, only he gives us everything and not just stuff on Christmas. And in, in, in somehow you could just claim it and say in his name and you're going to get it. And you just tell him, and it's like, I'm just going to pray that God help me accomplish my dreams, your dreams, your dreams. And when that happens, it's you first. Now, here's the interesting thing. That's what they both have in common is it's you first. And a works-oriented system, think about it, it's you first. You gotta make the moves. You gotta pray, you gotta give, you gotta do, you gotta do it right, and you gotta make sure that somebody sees it when you do it so you get the right kind of applause. It's all about you. The spotlight's still on you. 
In an unsaved Gentile world where there's no sort of religion established, as we might think, it's still look out for number one, and it's all about you, baby. You step up, you get it, man. And if you have to, if you have to hurt someone to get it, you get it. When you watch during the Camden riots, oh, the riots were everywhere. We, we were aware of that last August. But during that time, if you remember, that poor exchange student from from East Asia who had been injured and while people were helping him up they were reaching into his backpack and taking on do, do remember some of you remember seeing that and there were some people that were outraged and there were other people that actually applauded the, the, the ingenuity of a person that would do something like that it's not believable but to be honest it really is the way of the world and then you got saved And you read that Jesus died so he could forgive you of your sins. Can't you let Jesus forgive you of your sins and still try to make you number one? If all he is is Savior, yes, but not if he is really Lord. The moment he becomes Lord, everything changes. And so what happens if you actually don't let Jesus be Lord, but you just want him to save you? It's still you first. And so what's church? Church is the place for people to notice you. It's the place for people to notice your spiritual gifts. It's for people to notice your endowments, your talents, your maturity, whatever it is, so that you can advance yourself to the next level of whatever that level is to move forward. It's still you first. It's tolerance. What's so amazing is the world will tolerate sin but will not tolerate personality. And if that creeps into the church, we're supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to tolerate personality and not tolerate sin. That's the whole idea here. And we look at each other and the person that's very different from us in personality will veer from, but we might be okay with their sin. We just don't like them. You realize that's just not the way that the Bible How's this play out? In the Corinthian church, they were not a Jewish-based church. If you remember, Paul had gone there after Athens, and when he had, he preached in the synagogues. They wouldn't have him, so he left and went next door. Do you remember that? Next door to Justice's house. And while he was there, there were some Jewish people that had gotten saved, including the leader, the head of the synagogue. But it was a primarily Gentile church. So it's a very, give me, I've got a right, I'm entitled, it's all about our freedom. And when you go into the church, if after you get saved, you start asking, is it okay for me to still go clubbing? Is it okay for me to still have a future? If when you, what you're asking is, can I still have all of these freedoms? You get the idea of what you're trying to bring over in the church what you're trying to bring over in your walk. Paul had spent a year and a half at this church, a year and a half. That was about four to five years ago from the time he's writing this letter. It's been quite a while. During that particular time, Apollos has visited after him. Now understand, the church is about five years old. As the church is about five years old, and I remind you, Paul planted the church. He evangelized these people. They would, for most of them, if not all, almost all of them, the first time they heard about Jesus was through this man's mouth. 
And not only did they get saved through that ministry, Paul discipled them, saw people raised up, so that he even appointed leaders in the church before he left. There was a lot to be done in a year and a half. When he left, it was a church that had established leadership. That was a year and a half. Could you imagine a year and a half, a place that's never heard about Jesus, and you've got leaders in the church, the oldest Christian in the church, the pastors that lead the church are a year and a half old in the Lord. Could you imagine? Now it's five years later and he gets a letter. He is now in Ephesus. It's across the Aegean Bay. He's now in Turkey on the west coast. And he gets a letter. Seems to have been brought by three different people. Stephanus, Achaicus, and Fortunatus. And, uh, and as he does, it seems to have been written by Chloe's household, or at least inspired by this gal and her household, that says, hey, there's some problems in this church, Paul, you need to know about. Pastor Paul... The body of Christ here seems to be not well. And we have a few questions we really would like to ask you. Because nobody seems to know. But wouldn't you expect that? These guys, I mean, again, we've got some really young Christians. And so Paul spends the first half of the book, for chapters 1 through 6, and he addresses these major issues. I mean, we're talking about a guy sleeping with his mom. And the church applauds their tolerance. We're talking about people suing each other. We're talking about divisions, massive divisions, where all of a sudden it's like, okay, all you people on this side, all you people on that side. And they won't even eat at each other's houses. That's what we're talking about. And Paul says, you know, this all boils down to one thing. You are spiritually retarded. That's all it is. You should have grown out of this by now. Now, what's interesting, and please, please hear my heart, because we could teach this from a very intellectual perspective. We can come in with all kinds of fun contextual angles and run all kinds of architecture underneath it. But let me just be honest with you. This is a really, really raving text for a very important reason. Because according to what God seems to think, by the way, who should have the final say, growing up really in its simplest sense is that your life becomes less about you and more about others. As Jesus consumes you, it just stops being about you. It stops being about me. And whether you were raised in a religious environment where you had to make it happen, baby, or whether you were raised in the non, in the Gentile environment where it was all about you getting your way, it was all about us both in either side getting our way to where we thought we wanted to accomplish. It was just what arena we were in. By the time it got here, he's like, it's five years into church. How long have you been a Christian and it's still all about you? You're suing each other. Who is that about? You're applauding tolerance to sin because you want to have the freedom to have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. And you think you should be able to tell God whether if you're in love, that should be enough, at least as far as you're concerned. Where does that come from? Shouldn't you have grown out of that by now? That doesn't mean you don't struggle. That doesn't mean you're not challenged with appetites. But it does mean that you're willing to admit that when God says something, he's right. So we get into this text now. Well, obviously, it's not a very long text because next week we'll start talking. Then the beginning of this really is, is where am I growing? Why am I being built? And where? To where am I being built? Next time we'll start seeing is, well, where from, from where am I being built from? That's the foundation. And what am I building with? 
What am I, what's the materials that are being built from that? But in the beginning, where do I want to be built from in the beginning? Where do I want this building to be established right from the get-go? And where do I want it to grow to? What do I want to build it into? By the time we're done with this chapter, he's like, look at this chapter ends with saying, you know what building you're being built into? You're being built into a church. You're being built into a sanctuary. You're being built into a magnificent building for which God's glory is supposed to dwell. That's what you're supposed to be built into. You're no hut. You're no porta potty. You are a mag- you are the most magnificent building in all of this world. That's what you're supposed to be. And if this is about you, then this giant thing becomes a mausoleum instead of a place of glory. That's what it becomes. Before I started pastoring on the Central Coast, and actually about 10 years into it, I'll tell you, be honest, I used to see large church buildings, and of course, I was like almost like Judas Iscariot. That money could have been sold and given to the poor, you know, that kind of thing. Until a group of architects started coming to our fellowship back in the States. And everything changed. Because I had never looked at it from their perspective. Imagine that Jean is an architect. Ellie's not here. I would have imagined her because she is an architect. Imagine Jean is an architect. And I say to her, I'd like you to build a, a building. Design a building so that when people walk near it, they know God lives there. What would you do? And I kind of get it then. I get the idea of the stained glass from the idea that, you know, from God's throne, it's like a rainbow all over. I get that idea. I get the idea of something tall and majestic and glorious. I get that idea. And the reason I say that is the biggest and most elaborate and most magnificent buildings that have ever been built have been holy places, at least in the eyes of someone. And God says, yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, God being the great architect, the greatest building I'm ever going to build is you guys. It's not the new Jerusalem. It's you guys. Because you're the building that's supposed to hold my magnificence, my glory. Now look at this. Look at these verses with me. Because they are very serious. And I can see here, Pastor Paul has a broken heart. And shouldn't he? I mean, this is a guy who planted this church. And I kind of get the idea here. I kind of get the idea that This is not what Paul intended. So again, this week, what am I building for? Let me put it that way. What am I building for the next week? What am I, or well, when we come back, what am I building on and what am I building with? Brethren, I couldn't speak to you. Notice he calls them brothers. So he actually does believe they are saved. I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people. But I have to speak to you like carnal. Babes in Christ. Now there's something to learn right from the beginning of this before we even get on to us. That a brand new babe in Christ can look an awful lot like someone in the world. Can a person, and I'm going to ask some really, really dangerous questions. First of all, what does it take to be saved? You tell me, what does it take to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Isn't that what scripture says? Now, let me ask you something. Could a person do that and be in a Mormon church? I don't think they'd be happy there, but could they? Could a person go into a Mormon church, preach the gospel to a person next to them, have that person receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? 
Sure, but you wouldn't want them to bring their, bring their Mormon mentality or doctrine into the church because, of course, that's false doctrine. Could a person go into a pub, preach the gospel to a person that's getting drunk at the pub, and that person could get saved? Could they? But the moment they walk out of there, they've got, God's got a lot of work to do with them, don't they? But the question, see, the issue is, we could look at certain issues. You walk into, you know, you could, could a guy walk into a gang, preach the gospel, and watch somebody in a gang get saved? Of course. And we go, well, sure, God's got a lot to clean up with them. The issue is, can we see that when God comes to us, that God's got a lot of cleaning up to do in us? Because it's so easy to look at the obvious. Well, to be honest, some of us were the obvious. It was a little easier for some of us, but some of us weren't. But listen. What Jesus says in Matthew 13 about a sower who wants to sow some seed, we know we, we talk a lot about the first one where it falls in four different soil types, but the second one, where he says, actually, a man went and he sowed some seed and it was good seed on a good field. And at, the, at night, the enemy came and he sowed bad seed in that same field. As he sowed bad seed in that same field, it started to sprout up. Now understand, when wheat is planted, there is a poisonous branch of wheat species of wheat called darnel. Now, you can't tell from the leaf. You can't tell from the stalk. They're the same color. But the head, when it bears forth fruit, that's when it's different. It's actually black. It's poisonous. Now, what's interesting is when they both started sprouting, when they first, first put forth their sprout, you couldn't tell the difference. Unless one sprouted fast enough so you could start to see that there's some bad in there. And then as it started to grow its stalk... It looked similar. As it grew its leaves, it looked similar. But somewhere in it, there's some poison among the field. And the servants come, and please hear me on this. The servants come, and they say to the master, do you want us to go and pluck up the bad seed? And in the brilliance of the master, because what the master says is, no, 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 because if you do, you're going to pull up good seed too. Because at this level, you really can't tell the difference. That's the point. Please hear me. If somebody gives their life to Jesus and then then they do something really stupid that day, that doesn't mean they're not saved. That means they did something stupid. And for you know what? God is patient. Now that is not licensed to sin. That's what we're laying down, right? That's what we're learning here is to lay down who we were. But please hear me. Just because a person does something really stupid, like and, and everybody every one of us has done it. We've dragged the old man over and tried to put that person in the equation and we find they don't fit, but we still try to put him in the suit anyways. And sooner or later what happens is the control person tries to control in the church, the gossip tries to gossip in the church, the fighter tries to fight in the church, the arguer tries to argue in the church, the scammer tries to scam in the church, the guy that likes to sleep with girls is out, is out macking on girls, trying to scope out the girls in church. And then the thing is, is you may not do it like you used to, but now you just it's just a couple of glances where before you would have walked out with a number, but you're still doing it. And he goes, look, I would have loved to have talked to you as mature, but right now you are just babies in Christ because you're looking just like unsaved people. Let me tell you a quick story, and we'll go back into this text. But here, here's two sides to it. One is, if you're looking at somebody and you're going, why don't they change any quicker? Aren't you thankful God didn't say that to you? And we should pray for patience, but also pray that we would be able to give them the word of God because that's what Peter says. As newborn babes desire, listen, the pure milk of the word. 
And pure milk means the word and only the word. It doesn't mean listening to, you know, to Calvi Satellite Network or whatever. Not that those things are bad. But it means make sure that you know what the word says and not just what a pastor says about the word. And if you're like, I don't understand what it means. Don't, God says, don't worry, you will in time. Hey, I still think that, you know, listening to a pastor or whatever, that stuff can be great. But make sure you're getting your time where it's the pure milk of the word. And without it, you don't grow well. You just don't. And by, listen, all the spiritual experiences, all the levitating and the hallelujahs and speaking in tongues and the holy laughter and the whatever else that you want to experience and all of the church memberships and learning the liturgy until you know that you, without thinking you know when to kneel and stand and put on the holy water and all of that and all of the confessions and all of the holy water and all of the going behind and kissing this and doing all of that stuff, no matter what you do, it's not going to grow you up. The Word grows you up. That's what it says. But the Word grows you up with the Holy Spirit helping grow you up. I don't know if you've ever heard it said, if you take the Word without the Holy Spirit, you dry up. If you take the Holy Spirit without the Word, you blow up. But you take the Word and the Holy Spirit and you grow up. That's the idea. Now please hear me. Here's a quick story. A friend of mine that was a a chiropractor back in the States had been praying for an old high school buddy, a secondary school buddy who he had gone to school with, obviously, for years, who was really kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of guy. But sooner or later, he actually, through just you know years of trying to get in on him, trying to get in on him, finally spending a whole night with him sharing Jesus with the guy, and it seemed like finally the guy was willing to listen. Then he invites him to church, and the guy, much to his amazement, shows up at the church. And so here he is, and then they go and they kind of sit down, and you know, it's one of those churches, there's, I don't know, probably about a thousand people. And as they sit at the church, the pastor starts to speak, and everything he says, and I'm sure you've had this experience, whether it be here or otherwise, where, you know, it's like everything you said the night before, because I get the letters, you know, everything you said before the night before, now the pastor is saying. And, of course, they hadn't communicated. That's just the Lord reinforcing. He was after this guy pretty bad. And so, and in the end of it all, the pastor does something beautiful and unique in our area. He gives an altar call. Glory to God. And, and so, you know, there was, my friend has no idea how it landed on his buddy. He just knew that there was the same kind of conversations. So he's like, all right, and he st- starts turning to leave. And as he turns to leave, he's at the door, and he looks at this very large auditorium. And just on the other side, the other corner, is his buddy praying with the pastor. Now, understand, they're quite a distance away, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people between them. And the guy is praying with the pastor, and my friend is shocked. He's staring. He's going, God, you are so huge. What a miracle. And the guy finishes praying, and he looks up, and from across the room, he sees his friend, and he's so excited, he doesn't know what to say, so he goes, F! And that is the abbreviated version. He was so excited, that was the only word that came to mind. It's the only word he knew when it's like that excited. My friend's like, glory to God. Oh, never mind. Maybe he'll get saved next week. You know, And that's what we can think. But the bottom line was, it was such, to me, it was such a beautiful, tender example of what happens when someone gets saved. God's got less of work to do now. You know? And for, but please never forget that he hasn't stopped working on us either. But understand, for Paul, for a pastor who's been investing in them, I think Paul's like, I'm really shocked that this is where you guys are at. Because you really shouldn't be here anymore. This is what I wouldn't expect. What I would expect in a church five years old, 
Understand, that would be a Christian for five years at best, right? That would be people who got saved at the beginning of Paul's ministry. So you guys would be loving each other by now. It would be, you, you, you'd be opening your homes to each other. You'd be sitting and really listening to each other. I mean, you would be like, if somebody needed something, you'd be quick to give it. We're not talking about somebody wanted something like, hey, that's a nice iPhone. Well, here you have it. But I'm talking about where it's like, hey, that person's cold. Hey, I've got an extra cold. Why don't you take my jumper? Whatever it is. You know, I mean, that's what should be happening. All of a sudden, when you realize, and what I should expect to see is I should expect, and I'm just going to just call it like it is, white people and black people having dinner together and not even seeing anything different. Like, that's not weird to them. And old people and young people having dinner together and sitting and enjoying each other, and that's not weird to them because Jesus is still everyone's Lord in this. And people laughing about it. And you know what? Kind of like what I see here. But if you imagine, now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been where you're like, this is like the best thing I've ever been at? And you wonder, could it get better? Can you imagine what would happen five years from now if it grows the way it's growing? This wasn't like God hit a switch and like, okay, now we're all this. We've been moving towards this. And if we're moving towards this, what do you think is the next thing? I mean, how, do you, how much better does it get as we continue to move in that direction? But imagine if I were to leave here, and because we've been here three years, that's twice as long as Paul was at Corinth. And two years from now, I check, and what I find is that, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, you know Alex is suing Bruno, you know, or Bruno's, Bruno's suing, suing Jeffrey, because, you know, he thinks that Jeffrey sold him something and Bruno lost all his hair from it, you know, or, or whatever. And there's all kinds of sexual sin. I won't bring any names to that because that would just be even worse, you know. And there's, and it's like, you know, and all of a sudden people are like, well, I'm part of Pastor Tony. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a part of that. Well, I called him. I knew when we called him PT, you know, or whatever. And it's like, and that kind of thing starts happening. You got all this arguing over this kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, understand that doesn't make any pastor happy. Is it doesn't make the Lord happy. It's like, I would really hate to think, and I have no plans of leaving. Please hear me that. I would hate to think if I get run over by a herd of yak in front of this building, you guys would stop loving each other just because I'm gone. That would, then all of a sudden, people, you know what people would think? Then it really wasn't about Jesus. It was about that guy. Wouldn't that be horrible? Well, that's what Paul's looking for. Because after Paul came in a guy that was a dynamic speaker. And the guy knew how to talk. Look at what it says here. It says, I, brother, and I could not speak to you as carnal people. I'm sorry, to as spiritual, but as to carnal. Listen to this statement, Romans 8, 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is, listen to this, not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. As where with a religious person dragging themselves over the cross, there's no Savior. With the Gentile person dragging themselves over the cross, there's no Lord. I mean, you could still think as a religious person, God's still the Lord. You're just busy trying to work for him instead of actually surrender to him. But as, an, uh, as a Gentile coming into the situation, there's, you're not willing to make him the Lord. You're too busy looking out for yourself, trying to make yourself the Lord. And he says, I fed you with milk. You see, Paul's like, look at I gave you the word. I gave you the word. And I didn't give you solid food. It wasn't like I built big doctrine on this stuff. I just gave you the word. First Peter 2.2, 2, that's the desire, the pure milk of the word that you would grow thereby. 
But now you're not even able to have solid food. It's five years into it. Imagine a baby, five years old. No longer, no longer a baby. You're a toddler or whatever you call yourself at five. I mean, you're actually getting ready for school at five, right? At five, you're putting on your own clothes. I would hope that's the case, right? I think at five years old, I started taking music lessons. At five years old, I had been starting martial arts. I mean, there's a lot that was going on by then. But I can't imagine at five years old, I still needed to be, pardon me for saying, be nursed. That's kind of gross. Could you imagine? I mean, like, I, I want to, but I mean, the reason I'm trying to paint the image and I'm just trying to get weird with it is I just want you to realize that's weird for a reason. And that's what Paul's saying. That's why Paul uses this metaphor. He wants you to get that. I mean, you do not want a child that can get in a really successful argument with you and then you have to breastfeed the child. And I'm just trying to be honest. And he's saying, that's what's wrong. He's like, you guys, by this point, you should be actually, you're at a point now where you should be able to actually cut your own meat and eat it. You're not. He goes, hey, I nursed you guys. For a year and a half, I nursed you guys in the word with the pure milk of the word. And now look at you guys. And let me tell you how I know you're not ready yet. How you're still where you were. Because he says, because there's three things I see. There's envy, there's strife, and there's divisions. That's what he says here. The word envy, by the way, as we look at it here, and this is kind of where it kind of gets heavy on this. Because these three words, the word envy is the word zealous, like being zealous. The word strife, like eras, means one who debates or argues. And then there's divisions. Do you know what they all have in common? It's all about you. The reason I'm so zealous is I'm zealous because you got something I did and I wish I did. Could you imagine what would happen if somebody was really blessed in here and we all just were stoked because they were blessed? Because they're part of our family? Isn't that the way we would treat our family? Not, dang it, how come they got that and I didn't? I mean, that would be the rough thing. Because to be honest, after you give your life to Christ, the one person you actually from this point on compete against isn't even Satan, it's yourself. Satan already lost. I'm not, you're not my competition. And boy, God forbid there be churches that are competing with other churches for a small pond of people when the, when the endless, vast ocean of lost people are walking among us that need Jesus and no one's given him. He goes, well, you, know, look what, you know what I see? I see that one guy gets blessed and everyone else talks bad about it because they're angry about it. Now, you know, you may not do that here, and I pray that that never happens anywhere, but I learned this within the church in Mass. Some guy, like, writes a book, nobody even cares, but the book becomes a bestseller, and everyone wants to bag on the guy because they don't like what he had to say. And it isn't even, like, necessarily like he said something unscriptural. They just don't like how far he didn't go with it or whatever. And you know what? In the end of it all, in people's, and this is why I don't read, one of the reasons, other than it's laborious for me, is because they'll say, well, did you ever read the book? And I'm like, no. I didn't, so let's, we won't, we can't argue about it. It's like, you know what, if the guy didn't sell a million copies, you wouldn't even care because now you're jealous because that guy's so famous and you're not. But in the end of it all, you are famous. See, this is the difference. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became important in the eyes of God. You already were, you just realized it. And you were validated at the cross. And if you want to try to validate yourself anywhere else, then you actually say that the cross is not enough. That's what we're saying. And Paul is looking at him. He's going, look at you guys. Some guy gets blessed and everyone's all angry about it. That's really what... And you're all debating. You know what you're debating on? You're debating on, like, dumb things. No, not dumb things because doctrine is dumb, but dumb things that separate people. 
there's debating means that we don't just go, oh, that's where you stand, this is where I stand. Now it's actually like, no, 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 you have to stand in my camp because this is where I am about all of this. You're like, really? So it's like, well, what kind of Baptist? Oh, well, you're a Baptist. Oh, well, what kind of Baptist are you? Oh, you're a dispensational Baptist. Well, oh, you're a dispensational. What kind of dispensational Baptist? Well, you're a first dispensational Baptist. And by the time you're done, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, you, you know when you look at a menu, the more words they add to a, a, a line, the more it's going to cost you, right? It's like, I just want to fish. Well, now it's salmon. Well, that's going to cost more. But not such a salmon, it's Alaskan salmon. Okay, that's going to cost more. And then it's Alaskan free-range salmon. Okay, that's going to cost more. But Alaskan, you know, stream-fought, line-caught, line stream-fed, you know, free-range salmon. And by this point, it's like just empty your wallet for this little meal. You just, I just want a fish and chips, man. That's all I wanted. And we do the same thing as Christians. And you know, it costs you more every time you start adding another line to it. So what kind of Christian are you? Uh, and you know, isn't it great when you're like uh, a Jesus Christian? How many kind of Christians are there? Well, where do you stand on the coming of the Lord? Yes, I stand that he is coming. When is he coming? Well, the Bible says you really can't know the day or the hour. Yeah, but you can know. Well, yeah, you know what? Okay, I have a position on that, but I'll be honest. There'll be a day we're all going to agree. And at that day, I guarantee you, none of us are going to have the cheek to look at another and go, ha, 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 I was right. God's like, I can let you go right now. I mean, that's the point. It's like the one thing we will be ashamed about is how much we argued over it. Hey, is God sovereign? Sure. Does man have a choice? Sure. Well, wait a minute, you're supposed to pick a side. No, no, nowhere in Scripture does it tell me I have to pick a side. I pick God's side. What side is he on? The side that doesn't argue over it. What day do you worship God? Every day. Well, do you worship on the seventh day? What's in there? It's one of the days, sure. I worship God any day that ends with a Y. I'll let you think about that for a second. Because this is what you guys are doing. You're debating. By the way, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that God actually says debates are a great thing. But he wants his evidence. Proof of changed lives. People get saved that way. How many of you here were debated into, into, your, into your walk with God? I mean, somebody just argued you and you finally went, you're right, okay, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Anyone? Hey, just by, just by a question, and, and I'm not trying to pick on this either, but how many of you were saved because you read a track? Okay, I was just checking. You're still carnal. Where there's envy, there's strife, divisions among you. Aren't you carnal? And you know what you're behaving like? You're just behaving like people. You're behaving like the world. If the world walked in and that's what they saw, why would they think the church is any different? When churches sue churches, that's fun, huh? And television ministries sue television ministries. And they all have, you know, it's unbelievable where it goes. And, you know, by the time we'll get into this, and that's one of the things he's going to deal with. He's like, you know what, you should just be wronged. But I could go bankrupt. Hey, then let God deal with it. But that person was wrong, probably. God's <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not asking you who's right or who's wrong. I'm telling you that if what you're going to do is try to make the world solve your problems between two brothers... You got issues bigger than the problem that you have with your brother. Because what you're saying is, I really could care less about my witness with the world. I demand, I am entitled to get this back. Really? That entitlement was what we dragged over the cross. Do you see that? So listen, as we wrap this around. Verse 4 says, One says, I'm of Paul, I'm of, I'm of Apollos. Remember, Paul was the church planner. Apollos then was the fancy talker that came afterwards. So you may not say that. What I, I'll tell you what really drew me to Calvary Chapel when I first got involved with Calvary Chapel was that when I asked, what, do, what does that mean to be part of Calvary Chapel? And they're like, uh, we read the Bible and we love Jesus. 
There was no book on distinctives about whether you were going to be this or that. And I understand after things grow, you kind of get that defin- you know, definitive where are we now stage with your relationship. I understand that. But, but, I, but what I, I was drawn to, what really drew me to Calvary, I'll be honest, was just that they were so busy not trying to make a name for themselves. What they were busy, to be honest, just doing was just, we're just going to love God and love people and then let him work out all the rest. And you know what? And if that changes and people want to call him whatever they want, they can, they can do whatever they want. That's just my heart from the beginning to the end. That's where I want to be because after the, everything else is really doesn't matter to me. And I would just love it if what we did in the end of it all, it's like, that's why when they're like, someone's like, we're going to bring in this guy and he's a big gun and everybody knows him. And you guys are like, I've never heard about this guy before. Cool, because he's just another guy. He's just another Apollos or Paul. And what we're going to read here is he's just someone who plants or waters. And that's really cool that people do that. And it's like, well, yeah, but he's got a really big field. Who cares if he's got a really big field? People are people and they need love. But, you know, if one guy is actually out there sharing his magnificence with everyone else while other people aren't loving among the church, I, I'm less concerned about that than I am about, to be honest, us loving each other the way we're supposed to. Man, if that happens, we're growing up. That's what's happening. We get into the Word and we go, you know what, God, you're right. I need your help. I need you to save me. I need a Savior and a Lord because this makes clear I need both. So please hear me. He says... Paul says, I planted, and Apollos came, and then he watered. God's the one who did both. He's the one who gave the increase. You know, if I planted, but God didn't give the increase, you know what you'd have? You'd have seedy ground. If Apollos came and watered, but God didn't bring the increase, you know what you'd have? You'd have wet, seedy ground. But it's not a, there's no harvest there unless God brings the increase. And no matter how gifted a speaker is, and no matter how gifted you think you are or aren't, we're all nobodies God loves to use because he loves to use us. And there's something beautiful in that. So please hear me. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. The focus will always be on God. I don't know who preached the gospel to you first. I don't know who reinforced that gospel. I don't know who actually closed the deal and picked the fruit. But I can tell you this. None of them would have been worth anything had God not brought the increase. Because God's the one who's got to do it. But you know what? You know what's so cool? Can I just be honest with you? I really feel like we're preaching to the choir here. I really just don't see it with you guys. I just don't see you going well. I was around with Pastor Chuck. You know, originally when that man came, and praise the Lord for the work God did through that man and for all the other men that have come before him. That man went into a church that was 25 people, and within a few weeks, half of them left. And then all kinds of really cool things happened, but I've met at least 70 of the original 25. You know, people that have come and said, oh, I'm part of the original 25. I'm like, you and 70 others have told me that. That can't be true. And you know what? I could care less. Well, I was baptized in the tents in way back in 1970 when we were all long-haired and barefoot and not bathing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad you've bathed since then. They're like, no, you're missing it. I was baptized. I'm like, I don't care what happened to you back then. Tell me what's happening to you today. Because if you have to actually tell me that the greatest thing that's happening to you took place 40 years ago, you realize that's how long ago that was? then that's an awful lot of time where something great isn't happening. I'd love to tell you what the Lord's doing today, and He's changing me. There are things I've struggled with my whole life, just battles in regards to my own heart, 
that God is eradicating me from these, just this season. I love that he's so real, and he's so personal, and he's so just dealing with me. And I just love it. I love it. So look at Hugh Plants and Hugh Waters. To be honest, we all get to be in the same camp. That's the idea of us being one. You know what we are? We're the camp of nobody's God uses, and that's okay. This isn't about self-esteem. This is about God-esteem. Tools don't look at each other and go, you just have to believe in yourself, little screwdriver. Someday there'll be a Phillips screw that's going to be needing tightening. Until then, man, don't worry. Don't worry if the flathead's being used more. You're going to be okay, buddy. In the end of it all, there should be a part of us that goes, wow, I made it to the toolbox. Can you believe it? I'm in the toolbox. I'm in the toolbox. So cool. How long you been here? I've been in the toolbox for a while. Have you been used lately? Yeah, that's cool, cool. What'd you do? I bang things. Really? Wow, that's really cool. No, no, really. That's what he does. He picks me up and he hits things with it and nails go in. Oh, cool. Okay, right on. Wow, how, how does that work? I don't know. I don't have to know how it works. I just will surrender myself to his hand and he does the work. All right, cool. How about you? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I do. But, I, but it works. And the house gets built. All right. You don't have to know what you are if you're willing to surrender yourself. He's willing to use you. And you plants and waters, man, we're one. Hear me on that. It doesn't say he who plants is like level one. <laughs> and then there's, he who's like kind of, other of the waters, he's kind of level two. Because the pastors, you know, and, and if he's big church pastor, he's like level, like top shelf one. And there's the other guys and they're kind of level one and a half. But they're working their way up because they're getting more people. This guy's got a TV ministry. This guy over here, he's just got a few people. Bible study. Youth pastor. Really? It's like, look, we're one. Do you know what one means? In a family, dad's got it, but he's, none of us are dad. We've already got our father. We're just kids. We just get to look and go, isn't it awesome we get to be part of this family? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Because in the end of it all, we're one. I, I just don't get to cut in the queue because I'm Pastor Tony. It isn't like God goes, who? Because he knows who I am, but he knows who you are. It's who calls us by name, right? So listen, you planters and you waters is one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The bottom line is, look, at God says, look, at, I'm going to give you your reward. But you know what? I'm going to give you your reward because of what I use you. And you know what's cool? is I'm not going to get a greater reward just because I get to do what I get to do. God put me here probably because I need this much accountability. But please hear me as we go to prayer. As we go to prayer, beloved, let me ask you, where are you growing? Why are you being built? What are you being built for in the first place? Is it really to grow up to love God and to love others? Is that really what this is about? And what part of us are we dragging over? Man, man, I've been dragging over how important I am. God's like, I thought we settled that at the cross. Because right now, I mean, you could come in here and let's be honest, think about who you were before you were saved. What battles you face. Don't you want to drag them over? You were lonely, so now you're trying to get people to like you here. You were insecure and you want people here to secure you up. Really? God's like, I know that stuff, but hey, if you don't get it from him, church isn't going to do it for you. 
And you know what? All the experiences and all the church attendance, man, if you're not going to enjoy his word and let his word truly instruct us, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find ourselves in that place where we're like who we were before in a new, in a new pond. And then we create our own music businesses that don't look anything different with music. And I'm not talking about the sound. I'm talking about the words aren't any different anymore. So much of what I hear, I'm like, how is that Christian? I hear God's name more mentioned blasphemously than I do on things that are supposed to be from God's people. I mean, you sit on a, if you sat on an underground train and if you had the keen insight spiritually to see who was actually a Christian and you listen to their talk and then you listen to the talk of the people who didn't know the Lord, who's going to mention Jesus' name more? Isn't that sad? We're afraid to. They're not. What does that say? God says, look, I want us to grow up. It starts with this. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus at the cross? Where he died at the cross so that who we were could die and we could become the new person. Have you accepted that gift? Because I'll give you that choice. But if you have, can we ask God to actually leave all of us back there? We said, take all of me. Do you know what that means? The time, by the way, right now, if we pray as we should, we'll still have a few minutes after this to still praise. But I'd like to sing a couple songs of surrender, okay? But I mean, but I'd like you to listen and see if you can sing. Because really, <laughs> what good is it for us to sing that stuff if we don't mean it? Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you. And, and clearly, this book is so serious here and, and obviously we're going to see that, that that Paul and Apollos they're just ministers they're just errand runners we're all just errand runners we're just tools in your belt in your tool in your toolbox and, and God I just I just ask your forgiveness for anything of who I was that I've dragged over but I want to thank you Lord for how you are relentless to continue the work you've begun in each of us you just don't quit and I just pray, Lord, for every person here, myself included, Lord, please don't let us be people who, who are just trying to be the old us in a new world. Sort of like you just relocated us instead of reinvented us. We don't want that. We came to you to do more than just change a couple lifestyle problems change a couple problems in our heart or our mind. We came for you to, to reinvent us so that you could be the Lord of our life like you should be. And God, I just pray right now for every person here, myself included, that no matter whether we came from a religious world or whether we came from <coughs> a, uh, a Gentile-ish, unreligious world, Please tonight, make us people, Lord. Please tonight. Make us people who gladly leave who we were behind. Like Paul would say, I leave what is behind and press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that no matter who we were, we would let that person die for the new person you've ordained us to be. So now, Lord, please, as we go to prayer, here, Lord, as we are on our... Uh, and our hearts, we're lifting them up to you, Lord. Cleanse us of the person we were. Remove that body of death from us. 
and make us people who worship you in the newness of life and in the beauty of holiness. And Lord, in that please tonight, please don't let us drag ourselves anymore. We do believe, Jesus, you died for us. And because you died for us, we can die with you, the person we were, that you were buried. And because you were buried, the person we were could be buried and left. And as you rose again, we believe now that we can be new with you, a new creation, not like we were before. And that new creation confesses you, Jesus, as Lord, not for our own personal importance, but to make you known and to make you important now. Make us bold, Lord. That when the name of Jesus is proclaimed, Lord, on a train, that it would be proclaimed in reverence, the right reverence it deserves, not in the blasphemy or in vanity that you say is a commandment not to. And forgive us for such tepid, feeble need responses, Lord, to the world's bullying, or we would stand strong and say, we are going to stand on our Lord and proclaim him like he deserves to be proclaimed. So Lord, as we offer you songs of surrender tonight, would you please receive this time as time of genuine surrender and take from us, Lord, take from us that which you rightly deserve. All of our adoration and love and praise, even as you've taken all of our filth and rubbish, Lord, now take the stuff that might even be considered to some degree good stuff in comparison, of course that you would really let us leave ourselves behind now and take up you where we belong. In Jesus' name, amen.